Romans 8.30 says, And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So today, what does it mean for the believer to be glorified? This is episode 86 of this podcast, and just last week, I passed 20,000 downloads. So that's a, a pretty cool milestone, and it's been really neat to um, to just get emails from different listeners, and um, and hopefully this has been a blessing to people's lives, this podcast. I know I've really enjoyed preparing the episodes. Some weeks, it's more difficult than others, and um, but it, it, this has been a really rewarding uh, process for me. So thank you for listening, and thank you for those who have emailed me um, just as uh, for encouragement. Sometimes it's questions or clarification, and so I appreciate all those. You can always email me, bearchristianity at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at the Real Bear Martin. Now, um, just to to get back into it today, we're talking about glorification, the doctrine of glorification. And so, this is on a, a series where I've been talking about the glory of God, and I've already discussed justified. So, when I was reading Romans eight thirty there in the intro. Um, those whom he justified, he also glorified. I've also uh, I've already talked about justified. Now this is uh, this is a verse that I've talked some about as well in this series on Calvinism and Arminianism. So I'm not going to go into that whole verse and explain all of those different uh, words and what they mean and all that stuff. But today we're focusing on the very last part, the glorified or the glorification. So uh, a great resource, I've mentioned it several times, it's called the Pocket Dictionary of Theological Terms. So I really like this. Um, And so let me give you their definition of glorification. It says this, glorification is the last stage in the process of salvation. That's, That's you know, going back to Romans 8.30, what I was just talking about. So it's the last stage in the process of salvation, namely the resurrection of the body at the second coming of Jesus Christ and the entrance into the eternal kingdom of God. In glorification, believers attain complete conformity to the image and likeness of the glorified Christ and are freed from both physical and spiritual defect. Glorification ensures that believers will never again experience bodily decay, death, or illness, and will never again struggle with sin. Now, when we think about uh, being glorified or glorification, most of the time in the Bible, it's talking about God's glory. And then when in the Gospels and, and in the New Testament, we, we read about the glorification or, or Jesus being glorified as well. Um, so I've defined the glory of God as the display of his attributes. And listen to previous episodes if you want more on that. I go <laughs> in a lot of detail on that. Anyway, um, so the display of his attributes, that's the glory of God. So when we think about it in that way, Jesus is glorified when when he is the Bible speaks about Jesus being glorified in his resurrection and his ascension into to heaven to the the throne room of God where he sits at the right hand of God. So, Jesus is glorified in his his resurrection and ascension and and when Jesus is glorified it in a way you can think of it as it displays or it proves 
who Jesus truly was. So during his ministry, he's constantly making claims that he is the Son of God. And in that culture, they would have understood that as Jesus is saying he's equal with God. Jesus claimed to be able to forgive sins. And the Bible says only God can forgive sins. So they knew, the leaders in Jerusalem knew what Jesus was claiming about himself. So he made very big claims about who he was. And so when Jesus is glorified, we see it is the display of who he truly is. Jesus. So when Jesus is resurrected, it that was a way of proving that Jesus' message was true. And so that's uh, that's how I think about that when Jesus is being glorified. Um, that's kind of how I tie it into my my definition of what is the glory of God. So it so Jesus being glorified displays who he truly is. It proves that what he said about himself was true. In Revelation five, uh, we're given a, a picture of John. John sees the throne room of heaven. Okay, and no one is able to open this scroll. And the, the scroll is like a, a will or like a contract deed. It's God's plan for human history. There's there's a few different ways to think about that. But no one is able to execute the contents of that scroll. No one's able to, to open the scroll. And John begins to weep. And then someone tells him the lion of the tribe of Judah is worthy to open the scroll. And then John looks and he sees a lamb standing as though it had been slain. It's like a this is a, a reference to the resurrection, okay? And then the lamb goes and takes the scroll, okay? And so I'm going to pick it up, and this is Revelation 5, verses 9 through 14. And they sang a new song. This is the, the uh, four living creatures around the throne room of God and the 24 elders. That's they there. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked. This is, John, again, John is... is writing this. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them. So notice, Every creature, every created thing is worshiping Jesus Christ. So, uh, and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So, they, in their worship, in the way that they're worshiping the, the Lamb here, which is representative of Jesus, they are putting the Lamb on an equal footing with the the one who sits on the throne with God the the so Jesus is God to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped 
So in Jesus' glorification, we are shown who Jesus really is. Jesus is the God-man. So there's lots of things that are just kind of breezed through there as far as um, doctrines of the Trinity, and I've also already done an episode on on Jesus being the God-man. So um, again, uh, if, if, if it seemed like I skipped over some really big concepts there, I've covered them in previous episodes. Um, now, when Jesus is glorified, he he also, in his resurrection, Jesus has now a glorified body. And so that in John 20, we read uh, two different times, the disciples are hiding, they've got the doors locked, and then it says Jesus appears in the midst of them. And so it, it's, it, you know, Jesus is like able to like walk through walls or there, there's something about his body that is different from our bodies now. And so um, we, Jesus has a glorified body. Um, so that's also part of the glorification of Jesus. Now, what about our glorification? So our glorification, first, it's an absolute guarantee based on Romans uh, 8, 29, and 30. It's an absolute guarantee for those who are foreknown, for those who are predestined, called, justified, they will also be glorified. This is sometimes called the golden chain of redemption. So it starts, if you are foreknown by God, then all of these things fall into place. So it's a guarantee for those who are foreknown, predestined, called, and justified. And then I've talked uh, earlier episodes about what it means to be justified. Now, if God's glory is the display of his attributes, and Jesus' glorification is a, a revealing or a proving that he is God in the flesh, then our glorification displays who we truly are in Christ. And that is, I've got that in all caps, in Christ, in my notes, okay? And there's a huge difference here, so please hear me out. I do not want to be misunderstood on this, this point. Um, God's glory comes from who he is intrinsically, and and as well as Jesus Christ. So that their glory, God's glory, God the Father, Jesus Christ the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Their glory comes from who they are intrinsically. Um, the the glory of the Trinity is is the the God is eternal and has glory in and of Himself. Okay, our glory comes from us being united. To Jesus Christ. That is the only reason we can be glorified. So, our glory is not from our own, uh, from ourselves, from good things we do, from you know our physical physique or our mental prowess or any of that stuff. Our glory does not come from us. Our glorification is based on. The, well, first of all, only believers are will be glorified, but our glorification is because we have been given the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. So our glorification is because of who we are united to Jesus Christ. So our glorification is the display of who we are in Christ, and this leads to further glory of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Um, we are also, in our glorification, we are 
perfectly conformed to the image of Christ. Again, it's all based on who we are in Christ. When we are justified, when you believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, conforming you to, to, to be like Jesus Christ. And so this is here on this physical earth, we are, that, that's called sanctification. We're growing in Christ-likeness. But eventually, when we're glorified, we will be conformed to the image of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 49, it says, Just as we have been born, the image of the man of dust, that's talking about Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It, it is, the, is the Holy Spirit that is doing this transformation work. Philippians 3, 20-21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself." So our glorification is based on who we are in Jesus Christ, and our glorified body will be like Jesus' glorified body. So that leads me to this kind of a general point about eternity. There, the Bible does not give us maybe as much as we'd like as as far as like specific details about the eternal state and and what's heaven going to be like and and those types of things. Um, and so this leads to a lot of room for speculation. But um, just a, a few things on the eternal state. When once we are glorified, heaven is not. We, we're not going to be fat babies on clouds with, with harps, just kind of stuck there forever, right? Um, also, heaven is not a really, 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 really nice sandals resort that you get to stay at forever, where you know your, your food's taken care of, you just kind of lay around by these natural pools of clear water and, and, um, and, and eat grapes all day, you know? So it, it's, it's not that. Also, heaven is not like, you know, heaven, or excuse me, hell is not like a party time with, you know, all the cool people, and heaven is is like some boring, dead church service that, that just goes on for eternity. That That is a complete wrong way of thinking about heaven and hell. So how can we properly think about what heaven might be like? And I, I think it's safest to stay in very general terms here. Um, but there there are some truths that we can glean from the Bible. In heaven, we will be free from sin. So we, there will, we will be free from the temptation to sin. We are, we are not going to be robots forced not to sin in heaven. Um, we, but instead, because our glorified bodies are free from the effects of sin, we will be able to think properly. And so, so sin distorts our thinking, but when we're free from sin, we will be able to think properly. And also, we will be in the presence of God, and so the beauty and the holiness of God will be such tremendous contrast between the wickedness and the evil 
of sin that we will always freely choose to obey God and not sin. Sin will be truly seen for what it is. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were deceived. Sin was um, was perceived as something good, but in, in heaven, it will not be like that. We will see sin for what it truly is, how wicked it really is, how evil it is, and, and because of who we are in Christ, because we have the Holy Spirit, because we have a glorified body, we will always choose to, to obey God and to serve God and to love God, and we will not want to sin. Also, our body will not fatigue, we will not, there will not be aging, we will be able to fully enjoy all of God's creation. And so here's where you know people will speculate, but there is a there is a tremendous amount of the universe that we've never even gotten close to exploring. And so God's creation is just unbelievable. And so possibly in our glorified eternal state, we will be exploring the wonders of God's creation. Even, even just here on earth, think about when you when you go to a place and you just, let's say you have, there's this really beautiful view, right? And you think to yourself, I'm just going to sit here and just kind of soak this in for a little bit. But guess what? You always have to get up and move on. Maybe you're on vacation and you got to get back to work. Um, and then also, we just simply run out of time because our bodies age, and we're not able to do things that we enjoy doing. This will not be the case in heaven. We will have time. There will be time in heaven because there will be music in heaven, but time will never work against us. We we have eternity. And so time never works against us, so we, we'll be able to enjoy all of God's creation to the fullest extent. And and we're we're constantly going to be discovering new things. And and the glory of God continues to build and build and build from our perspective. We can we continue to learn more and more about God. Our love for him increases, our joy um, in his presence increases, all of all of that. Okay. Um, now also in heaven, in our glorified state, we will find purpose. So we were made in the image of God, and, and that's Genesis one twenty six. And so to, to image God is to represent him. Um, we, will, we will reign with God over the, the created universe as vice regents or ambassadors for God. We are representing who God is, and we're made in the image of God, just like a, a statue is an image of the real thing. We represent God to the rest of creation, and once we're glorified, we will be able to fully achieve that. Uh, sin has distorted the image of God in us, so we do not accurately represent who God is. But in our glorification, we will find purpose. We we will be able to be good images of God. And our deepest desire, you know, people always say, I, I've, I'm trying to find my purpose in life. That's one of the deepest desires we have is to, to find a, a job or a, a purpose in life where we can find satisfaction in doing that. Well, in heaven, we will have that. We will work in heaven. God made Adam and Eve, and before sin came into the world, they were working and cultivating the garden. So God designed work. We were made to work hard. 
There is satisfaction in in a hard day's work, but also our bodies ache and they get sore and they get tired and they get hurt. Um, and so that those types of things take away from the satisfaction we get from hard work. Also, because of sin, there's there's weeds and and our work is difficult and can be frustrating at times. But imagine a hard day's work where you were working really hard, but at the same time, everything's going right. Everything is, is like, like for a gardener, for instance, there's no weeds or bugs. Everything's just growing exactly the way that you're, you're working and, and allowing it to grow. That's, that's the type of work that we have in heaven. And that work is, it, we're going to have all kinds of different uh, jobs and things like that, but there will be satisfaction and purpose in that. Uh, not, not to compare us to dogs, but I think about like a hunting dog. That dog is trained and bred to, to be a hunting dog. That's their purpose. And when they, and, and they, you know, it's not like they're like, oh man. I got to get out, you know, I got to get out in the woods again today and go and go hunting or man, I got to go swim through this water and get this duck, right? Oh, I, I'm just, I just don't even want to do this. No. I mean, you think about, they open the gate of that truck, the dogs jump out and they are gone. I mean, they're ready to work because there, there's a purpose in that. There's joy in that. And so again, not to compare us to dogs, but that's the way our, our work will be in heaven. It will be something we desire to do that we find joy and fulfillment in, in doing. Relationships will not be harmed because of sin. So again, going back to our deepest desires to find purpose, we, we also desire a hard day's work, but but there's you know the effects of sin get in the way of that. In relationships, we desire to have deep relationships with people, and sin gets in the way. Sin breaks down those relationships for all different kinds of reasons. In heaven, we will have relationships that are strong and and true and good, and we will enjoy those because they're, they're not affected by sin. Also, we were made to worship. We were made to worship God. And because of sin, we are just, as John Calvin said, we are idol factories, basically. Um, That's a a very loose quote there. But we constantly make idols out of so many things. We we long to worship, um, but we worship everything but God, it seems like sometimes. Think about a, a concert. Uh, there's a you know the, over the past year there's been this rage about uh, people going to Taylor Swift concerts and I'm just amazed at how much money people will spend to to go see Taylor Swift but um, you know lot, lots of people trying to go to her concerts and I want you to put yourself in the environment imagine that she's about to come on stage so you've you know spent all this time trying to get these tickets you spent thousands of dollars um, there's you know maybe there's laser lights and you know all kinds of of things are happening all at one time you've got this crowd of people that are probably all you know just as big Taylor Swift fans as as you are um by the way I'm I'm not a Taylor Swift fan at all but I'm just <laughs> this is something going on uh that that's relevant think about this massive concert right and you get all these people together and Taylor Swift's about to come on stage and there's this energy there there's a um for the people that are there it is it is joy there's celebration but what they're doing is that is worship 
And so our hearts long to do that, and that that's why there's so much enjoyment in those types of events, as long as you like the person who's performing. Think about like a football game right before the team's about to take the field, and the band's going, or maybe there's there's music going. They've they've got this hype video that's played of all these you know great plays by the by the team, and so the football team's about to run on the field. Everybody's screaming. That is a a worship type of environment. And so in heaven, that is, our, our worship is, again, it's not going to be some, some cold, dead, dusty you know, church service that goes on forever and ever where nobody even wants to be there. That is not what heaven will be like. It, we will be worshiping God, and, and it will be our deepest desires for, for worship will, will be the way that we, um, the, the joy we have in, in those moments, that will be just a glimpse of what our worship will be like of God in heaven. So those are just some some things that I think about when I when I think about eternity. Most importantly, most importantly, we will be in the presence of God and and in our glorification, our glorified body will be able to be in the presence of God because we will be completely free from sin. Throughout scripture we see we we read of this desire to see the face of God. In Exodus 33:18 through 20, Moses said to the Lord, "Please show me your glory." And the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, that is, the Lord said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So in Scripture, we read of this desire to see the face of God, and God says, no no one can see God and live. And then in John 1.18, where said, no one has seen God, but the only God, This is, and th- this part is talking about Jesus Christ, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So Jesus becomes man and, and shows us what the glory of God is like, shows us what God the Father is like by Jesus becoming a man and living with us here on earth. But eventually, in the glorified state, we will see God for who He truly is. We will see the face of God. In a, in a sermon on glorification by Steve Lawson, he, he talked about this. He said, in ancient times, only the, the family and close friends of the king actually got to see the king's face. And this made sense. If you think about like a throne room of a king and people would come before the presence of the king, often you come in with your head already bowed and you may walk up, but you wouldn't get real close to the throne. You're kind of standing back and maybe you're bowed down on your knees or even on your face if you're pleading for your life from the king. So you would never look up and look into the face of the king. You would always have your head bowed away from the king. Only the family and close friends of the king saw uh, saw the face. And then Steve Lawson mentions this verse, Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, it says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And in 1 John 3, 2, it says, beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so the most important part about our glorification is that 
in in the glorified state with our glorified body, we can be in the presence of God Almighty. There, there's there's books about heaven is for real and and all kinds of testimony about people going to heaven, and they you know sometimes these these visions that people have of going to heaven they talk about oh they saw their friends and they saw their dog and they you know whatever um here <laughs> when we go to heaven the the thing that we will be talking about is that we saw god we we were in the presence of god almighty that is what will be most important in the last chapter of the bible there there's so many themes uh, in the verses I'm going to read here in closing us out, but there's so many themes about God's glory as well as our glorification, the, the glorification of believers, and they come together in these verses. So in closing, this is Revelation 22, verses 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, For the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever.